Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. The other day, my husband and I were floating the Bitterroot. As we started our descent, we were both in awe about the river. We both came to the conclusion that this is the most dynamic river in Montana. As you look at the Bitterroot, it never looks the same. Every year, your favorite honey hole of fishing changes because the water's changing every channel. We also came to the conclusion that you have these beautiful Bitterroot Mountains the entire time during your float. Joining me today is the Bitterroot Water Forum, Heather Barber and Alex Oceanus. Thank you guys for joining me today. Thanks for having us. I'm so excited to learn a little bit more about the Bitterroot because as I said before, don't you, would you agree, Alex, that the Bitterroot is the most dynamic river I think that we have in Montana? 
Oh my gosh. You know what? I think Heather, I, I'm going to agree because I trust the two of you, but Heather knows this river way more than I do. I'm so new to the Valley. Um, so I, I can tell you it's a treat to be here, but um, I haven't gotten to know it as intimately as the two of you have. Oh, I'm excited that you get that opportunity, Heather. But wouldn't you say that the river is, um, it, it is like the most dynamic river. It never looks the same every year. You're like, oh, this is, this is new. No, absolutely. And that's, yeah, you're not imagining that the Bitterroot truly is one of the most dynamic rivers in the state. Um, it moves back and forth in its channel um, more than most rivers. It's, it's not, a, you know, very stable in the channel, which makes it such an exciting place to, to fish and visit. And um, even just driving over uh, the Main Street Bridge into town every day on my way in, um, just seeing where it is and what it's up to, uh, it makes every day a little bit more exciting. Yeah, it was so funny because, I mean, first off, you always kind of have to have your head on a swivel, right? Because there's three different parts of the river yesterday. And Justin and I were like, well, which way, which way should we go? And I was like, I think the right side looks yeah. the best <laughs> way. And then we, we, we made it down. And then all of a sudden we're like, but I guess we could have gone left because now that one is merging with the with the main channel. So, um, but I, I just think it's such a special river. And I can't wait to learn a little bit more about what... Um, what the Bitterroot Water Forum has going on. But before we kick off, um, we always like to hear a fishing story. And Heather, I hear you have one teed up for us. Well, yeah, I was thinking about, um, you know, the experiences that I've been fortunate enough to have on this Bitterroot River um, since my husband and I moved to the Valley um, in 2010. And there's so many, I mean, just throughout Montana, just the amount of um, fishing that we've been fortunate enough to do. Uh, you know, I grew up spinner fishing in Wisconsin, so um, it was a tall uh, order to pick up fly fishing once I got out here, but um, what an exciting thing to do and um, a new adventure to begin. So thinking about some favorite fishing stories, um, you know, we got out here and um, we wanted to get on the river. That's that's part of the reason we wanted to live in the Bitterroot. Uh, we just love rivers. <laughs> and, um, you know, we were both uh, newer in our careers. And so uh, young professionals um, could not afford uh, a raft um, with all the bells and whistles or even with the trailer. Um, so we ended up uh, getting a little raft um, which we still have to this day, um, but that we would have to, you know, pump up every time we went out. So we'd have to pump it up, um, you know, unfold it, uh, get it out, um, set the whole thing up, get the frame on, um, put our rods together and just to get out on the river. Um, and then of course, you know, when you're done with the day, same thing, take it off, take it off, um, let the air out, lay on it for a little bit, dry it off, fold it up, put it back in the truck. And we did that um, for the first, you know, two and a half, three years um, after we moved to the Bitterroot. And it didn't matter. We we just wanted to get out on the river. We just wanted to fish and float. And like you said, see those gorgeous mountains and just remember why we were here, you know, what brought us to this valley in the first place. And so, you know, you'd get on that boat and after the, you know, whatever hours long um, effort just to get it on the water, then none of that mattered. And then there you were just floating this iconic river and feeling like one of the luckiest people in the world to have this opportunity. And 
and the river, it's an equal opportunity fishery, right? So here we were, it didn't matter uh, what it took to get that boat on the water. Um, we'd get out there and we were hooking up to, you know, cutthroat trout um, and just living out this kind of Montana dream that we'd uh, envisioned from, you know, coming from the Midwest and flying, uh, floating by guided fishing boats um, with people who came from who knows where. And, you know, we're, we're out in our, our little our little raft um, that's not totally outfitted and, and we're hooking up to trout um, as we, you know, go bass guides, people who are paying who knows how much to, to get out on the water. And, and we just have this chance to just be here whenever we want to and just find a beautiful day and um, put the boat on. And, you know, years later, we, we have a trailer and we can get out a lot easier. Um, but I'll never forget that just, um, you know, all the effort that it took and never feeling like that mattered because it was so worthwhile. Even if we were getting teased by uh, guides, outfitters, friends, and the folks at the fly shops who knew that we were the ones um, who were always out there pumping up the raft, the, the big red raft um, to get out. So yeah, <laughs> just whatever it takes to get fishing. Yeah. That is amazing. And I'll also, you know, I should also say the Bitterroot is one of the rivers that does not give me a lot of love when it comes to fishing. I think it's really hard. I don't know why those, maybe it's because, you know, the water is always changing and those fish are constantly moving because it's just like, I think there should be some fish there. Like I know it, you know, and you put that cast in and I just see it floating. Like, yeah, that is it. And it's like beautiful cast. Right. And it's slowly floating. Like it's going to get eaten. It does. And, and nothing and nothing. And you're like, where, where did the fish go? But you know, I, Justin and I came to the conclusion that it just must be because it was raining a lot. We've had these water flows are changing so dramatically and the bitterroot, the fish are probably so confused. They probably don't even know what, when they should be eating or when they should, because we're like, why aren't they eating right now? They've got to be hungry. So I think that's why like the bitterroot, it's not going to just like hand you the fish. It's going to be like, you know, this will be like a puzzle for you. Like good luck. Yeah. And I think it depends. Like I said, I told that one specific story of us hooking up to a trout while passing a guide boat. Um, I, I can't say that every adventure and excursion uh, leads to me, you know, just slaying trout. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we've had guides and outfitters on our board and, you know, obviously talking um, with our donors, supporters, just people who live throughout the Bitterroot. And um, some folks seem to do pretty well for themselves out here. You know, I mean, there's a reason that people come back. And I think it is in part, like you said, just the dynamic nature of the river, just see what the Bitterroot has to offer today um, and see if you can get those fish that maybe eluded you the last time. Um, but yeah, I know that there's a lot of people out there who have much more success than I do. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because uh, when we got done with the river, there was two two gentlemen um, and they had just gotten done with their float with their guide. And they were from, I want to say they're from Seattle and Vancouver and they say, and they were older and they're like, yeah, we've been out here for 35 years. We're best friends and we always fish the bitter root. And I thought, wow, you know, sometimes you have to take a few minutes just to kind of reflect on like the place that you live and that people make their, make it their destination to come to Montana and fish the Bitterroot. And I can understand why it's so beautiful. Alex, I was just curious, cause I know you said you haven't um, had much experience yet on the Bitterroot. What was your mm-hmm. initial take when you were like, oh my gosh, I'm working for Bitterroot Water Forum and you got to actually see the waters that you're, you're gonna be working with? Sure. Uh, first, I was stunned um, at the opportunity to work for first such an amazing, impactful conservation organization. But secondly, yeah, I I really do feel like 
one of the luckiest people in the world to have this river right in my backyard. It's like a 10 minute walk from my house. I live right downtown and it's, um, yeah, even just to visit for five minutes a day and get that little dose of beautiful scenery and and the water flowing. It's just, I, I couldn't feel, um, luckier. Oh, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit because, um, Heather, you are the executive director at Bitterroot Water Forum. Can you give me a little bit of information about what is Bitterroot Water Forum? What do you guys do? Sure. Yeah. Well, the Bitterroot Water Forum, we are a community-driven organization um, that supports farms, fish, and families uh, by working on water in the Bitterroot for the Bitterroot. And so, you know, we are the only conservation organization that works exclusively in and for the Bitterroot watershed. So everything we do, um, every project, every plant we put in the ground, every dollar raised uh, goes back into the Bitterroot, into our local economy, our local communities. Um, and of course, the benefits travel downstream to the Clark Fork and Columbia and beyond. But um, as a local watershed group, our main focus are the waters, wildlife, and people here in the Bitterroot. Why did you feel like that was important to be part of the Bitterroot? Like, did you see there was a need to be the kind of like that, com- that communicator between farm, people, Bitterroot, watershed? Was that missing? Oh, without a doubt, I think those connections are what make a make or break a community. Um, and so, I was fortunate enough when we uh, moved to this area, um, you know, found out that this organization was hiring. We're nearly thirty years old. Um, this organization, and um, I've been here for uh, going on thirteen years, um, I guess, which sounds incredible. But um, when we arrived there was a need to hire for the Bitterroot Water Forum. And I looked at that as one of the most tremendous opportunities I could have imagined to live in a place like the Bitterroot Valley and have an opportunity to work for a nonprofit organization that was directly tied into the landscape, directly tied to protecting, enhancing, restoring the waters that make this place so special. And like you said, the the relationships, the tying people together between agriculture um, and recreation and everything in between, um, that's what makes the Bitter Water Forum. It's that we're here for everyone that depends on water resources, which is everyone in the Bitterroot Valley. So um, farms and ranches, recreators, uh, guides, outfitters, osprey, trout, um, everything in between. It's bringing it all together for the benefit of everyone. Um, That's how we succeed. And that's why the Water Forum is here. I love that. Um, I also, talking about wildlife, we saw a beautiful golden eagle and it was just so perfect. Like it just kind of, I mean, that's just like the way the Bitterroot looked. It was just like this beautiful day. There was nobody there. And then all of a sudden this golden eagle just comes right, right behind you. And you just feel like you're part of a movie. And that's a lot of people also on top of it. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of communication, which is what Alex, you're the community engagement coordinator. (laughs) That sounds like a full-time job. What does, what do you do as a community engagement coordinator? Sure. So um, you're right. There, There is a lot that goes into that. Uh, conservation is very much a team sport and it very much needs people um, to be successful. So um, I, there are a lot of ways to bring people into conservation and to make conservation work for people as well. Um, so that 
it really ranges. And a lot of it's keeping people just up to date of, of what we're working on, what our projects look like, um, why these restoration projects are important, just um, making sure that we're transparent with, with our audiences and the people that we serve. And also, um, like Heather started with, this is a very much community-powered, community-driven organization. So we really rely um, heavily on dedicated volunteer support um, for our projects, for planting, weeding, watering our restoration sites, um, for helping us uh, teach youth and teach um, adults about how to protect our watershed. So communicating with volunteers, making sure that they're they're well cared for. Um, and then also, like like I mentioned, we have these these learning programs that we host. So coordinating with teachers and getting students out there, making sure they're having a good time, a safe time, um, developing as uh, watershed stewards. Um, and yeah, I think I think, um, I think th- those are some of the the basic the basic things that that I do. But it's it's always evolving. Um, just finding more ways to. Uh, get our fellow community members meaningfully engaged um, in the conservation work that we do and make sure that we're listening and reflecting um, what others around us are are hoping that we can uh, do to help protect the watershed. I also have like this question because I, I, you know, I see you guys are talking about restoration. How do you do restoration on a river that is like constantly changing? Is there ways that you guys are like, okay, this is what we need to do. But like when the water is just constantly changing, it's it's flow it's channels how do you how do you figure out what needs to be restored that's a great question because i think you know our name the bitterroot water forum uh, would imply that a lot of the work we do is just on the bitterroot river Um, but really it's the bitterroot watershed so it's all of the waters contained within that watershed so from you know, Lost Trail Pass all the way to the confluence with the Clark Fork in Missoula, um, everything between the Bitterroot and Sapphire Mountains. So, you know, it's a nearly 3,000 square mile uh, watershed. And um, as as the Bitterroot Water Forum, we work um, throughout that. We have priority streams and tributaries where we invest most of our efforts. So um, a lot of streams on the east side of the valley, along with the East Fork and the West Fork, um, are where we we tend to actually prioritize our, our efforts, and we work mostly you know, on those tributaries, on the the fish factories of the Bitterroot. So we try to stay away from working on the main stem of the Bitterroot because it is so dynamic and it moves so much, and that's what it's supposed to do. Rivers are supposed to move around and change their channels, and you know, take a bank out here and there to drop some sediment in. There's there's a balance in that. So we. Do not try to mess directly uh, with the Bitterroot River, but rather support the tributaries that support the river um, to improve water quality throughout the watershed as a whole. That is amazing because that totally makes sense. That's right. Yeah. And try stopping the Bitterroot River in its tracks. You can't. You know, how many uh, projects are there? Rip rap people drop rock in the uh, along the banks and the river will cut out behind it. Um, ultimately, the river goes where it wants to. And so letting it do that, supporting the dynamic nature of the channel migration in the Bitterroot, um, while also, you know, reducing non-point source pollution um, to the tributaries, so doing everything we can to to reduce erosion um, where it's um, where it's more heavily eroding than it ought to be because of other conditions. So where the sediment loads, um, where the banks are dropping in to the river, um, 
in an unnatural way. So say example, like Rye Creek, um, you have highly erosive soils, you have um, a river. So anyone who's floated around that area, um, you can see some like when Rye Creek kind of dumps into the Bitterroot, uh, it looks a little like um, chocolate milk um, there. Yeah. There's just high sediment loads coming from way up on the forest. Um, and then as a result, all the way throughout that watershed. So, um, you know, we've worked high up um, in the Rye Creek and Sleeping Child drainages um, to do some road work that actually has reduced sediment delivery um, by, you know, 10 dump truck loads a year um, to wow. Rye Creek. So it, it's getting up in the headwaters. Um, it's doing work that makes an impact downstream without using a heavy hand on the Bitter River itself. That is incredible. What project have you seen um, in the past that you saw a huge change, that positive change on the Bitterroot from those tributaries that you've worked on? Sure. Um, well, you know, there's been dozens of projects uh, since I've been with the Water Forum um, from the East Fork all the way to Miller Creek. Um, but I, I do think the this, this watershed improvement project, um, working in partnership with the Forest Service um, up in the headwaters of Rye Creek and Sleeping Child Creek. So way out, um, a beautiful landscape um, that was just really um, crossed with roads. So it was an old logging area and there were just tons of roads that had been built there to get the timber out and just roads crisscrossing streams and um, just highly erosive roads. They just hadn't been maintained in years. And so the forest had decided they wanted these roads off the system. Um, and if you close access to a road, that's one thing, but that doesn't stop it from, you know, deteriorating into a stream. So when you're not taking care of those roads, um, they can't absorb water. So any water that falls on the road sort of creates, um, you know, these rivulets that just rip the road apart and then dump that gravel into stream. So all of these um, roads that were just kind of falling apart um, up there. We went out um, and did miles and miles, more than a dozen miles, um, you know, 20 some miles of uh, road decommissioning. So actually returning those roads to a natural state. So digging them up, um, taking the grades so that they weren't so compacted, planting over them so that instead of being a place where water would hit runoff and erode into the stream, now water can be retained. So now because of the plantings, because it's returned to a natural landscape, when precipitation falls, it will actually be absorbed into the landscape and we can hold on to it for a little longer. So rather than having this incredibly important snowpack and waters that fall and then quickly drain throughout the valley, we're doing what we can to, to hold on and keep waters here longer for use in the Bitterroot. Um, so that project really made a huge difference for water storage and also that sediment reduction. So not having those roads crumbling into the streams and, and messing with the fisheries um, in Rye Creek and Sleeping Child Creek. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, it's so important, as we can say, like when you have water coming too fast. I mean, as we see in Yellowstone, I mean, that is just, water came too fast and it 
you know, erosion. So, I mean, basically what you're doing is also on the Bitterroot, you have these amazing cabins that are like, you know, they could easily be swept if there was some kind of case like we had in the Yellowstone. So thank you for your commitment to making it safe and places for people to recreate. I was also curious because I know you guys work with agriculture and, you know, also maintaining traditions um, with farmers. Do you guys ever have to be like the liaison um, of talking with farmers and agriculture? Like, hey, I know this is something that you and your great grandfather, grandfather have done, but this is a different approach to protect the bitter root. Is that something that you guys have to ever come across? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, working with farmers and ranchers um, is one of the most important pieces of our work. So we have this um, tremendous landscape that is just um, filled with family farms and ranches. So there are um, loads of places where people have been on the landscape for, like you said, generations. Um, yeah. People who settled here 100 plus years ago, people have water rights from the 1800s. Um, and we look at these folks as, you know, great stewards of the land. Um, I haven't met a farmer or rancher here yet um, who doesn't have a deep love of this place. And so, you know, how the landscape is used for agricultural practices, um, of course, impacts things like, like anything we right. do. There, there's an impact. And so we really enjoy the opportunity to connect with landowners um, about stream health, about grazing management, um, and about how we can collectively, you know, work with them to do projects that are of benefit for the stream and for their agricultural operations. That's amazing. Because as you know, we, we both were saying, like, there's generations of people in the Bitterroot. And sometimes it's like, hey, you know what, I have an idea, like, let's go in here and change some, um, you know, change some ways that your agriculture, farming, cattle, and like maybe the landscape. That would be really hard for some people to be like, okay, but the fact that you said that they're all kind of like embracing the the good for it, that's amazing. And that says a lot about the Bitterroot, the people in the Bitterroot. Yeah, well, I think it's just, it's the the longtime nature of our organization. Sure. So 30 years in, um, we've been able to develop the important relationships with people um, to let folks know that, you know, this is our community too. We're not coming in from outside to tell you how to do things. We're just saying, you know, as neighbors and people who care about this place as much as you do, let's just talk about collaborative solutions. And so I think people are really receptive to that. You know, we're, we're just people who live, you know, in their neighborhood, who live downstream, um, who are equally invested in this place. And we're just talking about how to protect it for our kids, our grandkids. And so when we can find common sense solutions that benefit both parties, I mean, that's, that's a win-win. We're always looking for ways to um, enhance agricultural operations while improving stream health. So there are a lot of ways to do both of those things at the same time. And so we've worked, um, you know, on uh, the Burnt Fork, for example, um, just an amazing place um, around Stevensville on the east side of the Bitterroot. Um, worked with a farmer out there, uh, Jay Meyer, um, to do some plantings and projects out on his place. And, you know, there was a lot of erosion and a lot of it was out of his control. It was flooding that um, was bringing huge sediment loads down and just uh, eating away at his banks. Um, and we worked with him to do a planting project, um, put a ton of plants in the ground, got some willow cuttings going there, um, fenced off the stream uh, from his cattle who were accessing their water there. And we helped him build a water gap 
So we helped him build um, a place where his cows could access water without having, you know, um, unfettered access to the stream. So just one place where they could kind of concentrate and, and cross into his other pastures. We also built an off-site watering system. So this is the kind of thing, um, it just wasn't on his radar. Farmers and ranchers have a whole lot of work to do every day right in front of them. Um, the very imperative things that need to be done, you know, yesterday, and they never stop. And so for us to just have the bandwidth to kind of look at things, bring in some opportunities, find the funding um, to look for solutions that will help them, they don't have time to do a lot of that. And so when we can step in and say, hey, if we do this offsite watering, so if we build a tank for your cows that's away from the stream, you can actually better use your pastures and graze your cattle differently in a way that makes more sense for how you move them across your landscape while we're also protecting that stream um, from the degradation that just you know occurs um, as the cows had you know more access to the stream and were drinking directly from the stream. So it was a win for the burnt fork, it was a win for the rancher, and then at the end of the day, you know, um, everybody came out ahead in that because we were able to just kind of be the um, the intermediary in that process. That's amazing. Because how often is there a situation where there's two winners? Like it always feels like someone had to, you know, take away and someone gained something. So I'm happy that both people were on the other side. Um, Alex, I, I have to ask you because, you know, anytime I'm in a new position or in a new environment, I, I, there's something that I just learned that's new. And I'm like, wow, I never knew about that before. With the Bitterroot, um, is there something that you learned that you didn't know that was there before? Oh, gee, um, that's a big question, Lauren. Yeah, um, I know it is a loaded question, <laughs> but sometimes like the simplest thing, you know, I think I was talking to somebody and they're like, have you ever heard of uh, calling in fish? And I was like, wait, what? And it's some, some things that there's like such simple things. I was like, I never knew that before. So I didn't know if there was some big takeaway um, with the Bitterroot forum that you're like, I didn't even know that existed. And it could be even something so silly. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, for me, I've 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 had a few years, um, a collection, of, you know, five years or so working in the conservation field. But I have worked primarily with um, wildlife, so this is my first kind of steps working directly, more more focused on uh, specifically water conservation. And so, really, all of it has been um, so much learning for me. I mean, really, when I got in here, I couldn't probably describe accurate. I accurately what CFS meant. Somebody might say, Oh, it was this many CFS and my brain just I couldn't even picture what that what that looked like. Um so it's been a lot of learning for me, um, just about water in general, how we how we speak about water, how it moves across the landscape, um, who's using it, um, and how oh also I, I when it hosted a field trip several months ago um, where normally we, we have um, expert presenters come in and they host several stations for students. Um, and one of our presenters got sick and wasn't able to come in. So I had to take over their, their station for them, which was uh, all about macroinvertebrates as indicator species, um, identifying them, netting them, talking about their role in the ecosystem, which I, Luckily, I have a degree in biology, so I was able to take it on, but I couldn't name a single macroinvertebrate uh, before I had um, 
to do that. So I took a crash course in that. And the next day, very successfully, I will say, presented to um, a group of uh, middle schoolers. Um, and, and yeah, so that was another, it's, it's all new for me right now. All new. I love that. But you know, it's so funny you talk about the CFS because it took me a while to completely, you know, to understand CFS. And then the more I do this podcast, I was like, you know, I really got to kind of understand like levels of like the Bitterroot and Rock Creek and what that means. Like, oh, Rock Creek's at 2000 CFS. But like if the Bitterroot was, you know, like just that kind of yeah. translation. So I can understand how that can be a little bit mind boggling because 2000 CFS on the on uh, Rock Creek, you're you're moving real fast and it's scary but that wouldn't be the same case you know obviously on the bitter right it's huge right. it's a big river but it all makes sense i mean uh, but i always think that there's always such new things i learn when i'm in new situations and new places alex have you gone fishing before i i have gone fishing before um most i grew up in texas so most of the fishing that i have done at this point is bass fishing and um like pier fishing, ocean fishing. I've only gone fly fishing a, a small handful of times. Do you have any good fishing stories? Do you have one that like sticks with you? <laughs> I I do. I and I um Heather and I were talking yesterday. She goes, "Do you have a fly fishing story?" Just because I'm <laughs> I'm so new to um the, an area where I could possibly fly fish, but I do. Um, I, let's see, I came to, I moved to Montana several years ago in 2017 to start my master's program at the University of Montana. Moved here in August and my my parents came up with me to get me settled in and my little brother came with me at the time. He was 14 years old Um, and they, my parents gifted me with this, um, or us, all of us with this fly fishing trip, a a guided fly fishing trip um, on the Clark Fork. And as I, I don't remember if it was a half or a full day, but anyway, all I do remember is that it was just the most beautiful day. Um, I kind of, I had been to Montana before cause I had some family here in Eastern Montana, but this was really just my first exposure to floating on the river like that. And I was just awestruck. The waters were blue, the rocks were red, the trees just so colorful the, the weather was perfect um it was august but not not too smoky um and we had two boats with us so my my younger brother and i on one and my parents on the other and our boat also had a a dog on it which was another tree and so it's just the the perfect day and our guide had curated the, this perfect day for us and he was a um alum so he was all the while answering all these questions for me about the school and the experience um and teaching us uh, all through the, the river float um, about the ecosystem that we were going through, um, about the, the trees, the plants that live there, the history of, of the river, history of um, pollution and, and conservation in the area. So it was just a wonderful, wonderful day. I couldn't have imagined it to be uh, any more perfect. But uh, there was one little uh, hookup uh, that <laughs> happened. My, my younger brother, um, he's in the other room, so he might be listening to me tell the story. Um, He's visiting right now, but he um, was fishing off the, you know, off the side of the boat. And um, uh, I might have to whisper this, like I said, um, but he's he's kind <laughs> of oblivious, not really um, aware of his surroundings. And he whipped it back, and he um, he got the the guide with his with his hook. And 
if we're facing different directions. So I just hear this commotion and the, and the groan that, Oh, 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 and I, and I turn around and he's kind of like he, the guy head down and, and, and messing with it. He's like clearly in pain. And I, I said, we're stunned. My brother and I, we're not very socially adept creatures. And so we don't really know how to handle this. And um, we're like, are, are, are you, are you okay? And he lifts his head up and he goes, no, I'm not okay. And there's a hook hanging out of his cheek. Poor guy. And just he has like <laughs> blood rolling down his face. And if we weren't shocked before, now we're more shocked because now we're like, oh, oh no, someone's hurt. And, um, and we're like, Davis, say sorry. Like, we don't really know what to do. Um, but of course we, we said, sorry. Oh no. So sorry. Had that happened before? No. He's like, no, this has never happened. Um, and so there was that one. <laughs> God, what is this guy? I need to know. <laughs> he, you know what? But he was great. It was, it was a little blip. I think he was shocked by it. Obviously like he had a, a hook in his face, but at the end of it all, um, he it, uh, smoothed over and we went right back to our perfect day. And we were all forgiven for the incidents and it was just um maybe not for him but for us still just a wonderful fly fishing day at the end of it all alex i love that story that was the boat that was the best gotcha story you're like this was the most calm day it was so beautiful but there was a little hiccup. <laughs> our guy had a hook on the side of his face <laughs> gotcha um some of my favorite fishing stories are actually the ones when I started out because I think it's a lot more fun to learn from your mistakes. And I made mm -hmm. a whole lot of mistakes learning to fly fish because just like Heather, I started in Wisconsin spinner fishing. And so it was um, a lot to, you have to break some pretty bad habits <laughs> when you're spinner fishing. I was like, wait, isn't it, isn't it on the wrong side? Like the reel, isn't the reel on the wrong oh. side, <laughs> right? <laughs> To this day, I have to tell myself, okay, Lauren, if you have a fish on, how are you going to, how are you going to reel it in? You know? Um, exactly. But, yeah. yeah. Set the hook instead of just grabbing the reel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, um, but that's, that's a great story and, and keep learning because the best stories are the ones from the beginning, because um, I think you just get to learn more when you're just um, starting out. But um I know you guys have some great things going on um, and I'm sure you guys could use um, some more volunteers. What's going on um, in the future for Bitterroot Water Forum? And if people are wanting to get involved, how do they do that? Yeah, I, I'm going to mention three things here. Um, I, I will say that by the time this podcast comes back or comes out um, very shortly, this, this event will have already passed, but I, I can't help but to mention it um, because it's so relevant. Uh, it's called Cash for Cutthroats. Um, and that is an event that happens for us in late uh, June. But uh, Bitterroot guides, they they go out uh, and they donate collectively, all of them, or all of those who participate, they donate their tips for the day to the Water Forum. Um, we say they're raising cold, hard cash for cold, clear streams. You know, our anglers and guides especially understand the importance of those cold uh, clear clean streams for fisheries and so that's why they they band together and they donate the tips from their clients those days to the water forum to advance our restoration work which is just um yeah i i mainly i just mentioned that to commend those guides and to uh, celebrate their contribution uh, two other things to mention we have hosted for years an an, uh, an annual bitterroot river cleanup where we um, we, meaning 
community volunteers from across the valley band together, go out, and we clean up the entire stretch of the Bitterroot River each year, pulling thousands, really thousands of pounds of trash from the river. Um, last year, I think we pulled 1,700 pounds the year before, roughly just just at 2,000. Um, so that river cleanup is happening on Saturday, the 13th of August, and we do have uh, volunteers sign up for their different sections beforehand, just so we can make sure that we're getting the whole stretch of the river. Um, so there's floating sections and there's also walking sections. So there's plenty of opportunity for um, different folks to be involved. And it's a, it's a fun day. And I will say there is free beer. Um, so several local breweries um, are providing a, a free beer to volunteers. So we have the Bitterroot Brewery in uh, Hamilton, the Blacksmith Brewery in uh, Stevensville, and let's see, uh, Brigham Tap House in Darby, um, who will be providing uh, free beer to volunteers uh, after the event. And there's a lot of details involved in this in, in terms of how you sign up, where you go afterwards, where you bring your trash. So I would encourage um, those who are interested to go to our website, brwaterforum.org uh, slash clean dash up clean up um, to learn more and also to sign up for your section and figure out how to get that um, free beer voucher afterwards so you can go celebrate there. Well, and let's just be honest, Montana loves their beer and they love their rivers. So that's a good collaboration saying it right now. That's right, amazing. Exactly. And, and if you really love beer and, and you can't come to the cleanup on the 13th of August, and um, we also have a pint night on uh, the Thursday before the cleanup. So that would be the 11th at Higher Ground uh, Brewing, where some of the proceeds from each beer sold will go to uh, support that cleanup effort as well. So there are many ways to support the, the Bitterroot River cleanup and get beer at the same time. I love it. And also what I think is really great, um, if, if you guys, if you can't make it to the August 13th, what's great is at the very, at, when you um, start your float on the Bitterroot, there's all these bags, right? Like bag cleanup, you know, right. and I always pick up, it's like my, I always feel like if I'm going to go fishing, I try and pick up like 10 pieces of trash around me. And sometimes I have, it's, it's really easy to do that, but I always try and manage to like grab garbage as I'm on the water. And you can see it. Like yeah. if you start looking for it, you can find trash. So don't, you know, if you're on the water and you see trash, don't wait till August 13th. <laughs> Just pick it up. Right. Put it away. Lauren, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Um, that um, and I'm so glad that you, that you do that. Um, we, we also have a, a program called clean up all year. And so you'll find uh, over 20 bag stations uh, across the Valley, the little wooden stands that have reusable, bags donated from Bitterroot Disposal. So like you said, before you get out on the river or walking it, floating it, whatever it may be, grab one of those bags and you can not only keep a handle on your own trash, but like you said, pick up any trash that you see along your way and just leave that um, place cleaner and better for the, the next people to enjoy it. Yeah, very well said. Um, well, I can't thank you, Alex and Heather for joining me today. And letting me learn a little bit more about the Bitterroot Water Forum. It's, it, you know, I knew guy, you guys were around and, you know, you can read about it, but like talking about it with other people is where you gain more knowledge. And so learning about the tributaries and how the end result is about this dynamic river is, um, is amazing. And I um, just applaud you for all of your work and thank you guys so much. And um, Heather, I guess before we just sign off, is there any final words that you'd like for people just to um, to talk about with the Bitterroot Forum? 
water form? Yeah, well, just thank you for this opportunity because I think you're right. It's it's talking about this work gets people excited. I haven't met anyone yet who finds out, you know, what we're doing throughout the watershed and doesn't say, wow, you know, that's um, we really need something like that here. So it is just important to connect yeah, with absolutely. folks. Yeah, like I said, we're here for the farms, fish, and families, and those that's the backbone of this community. You know, the, the fishery and agriculture, they're such important parts of our economy and our way of life here, and the river supports both. And so, you know, we're here to connect communities, be responsive to people's needs, um, and just want to remind people, this is an arid place. You know, I think you look at that river and like you were talking about the CFS and how big it gets and how much water we have moving through this place. We only get 12 to 14 inches of precipitation a year in the valley. It's dry here. And so without the rivers, the tributaries, without the irrigation infrastructure and systems running through this valley, um, we wouldn't have this really dynamic um, watershed and these um, incredible farms and ranches and landscapes. So it takes careful management um, of, of the ditches, of surface water, groundwater. Um, and so it's a team effort. And like Alex said, it's, it's that bringing the community together. It's, it's our donors, our volunteers, um, the people who support this work because we, we can't do it in a silo and we wouldn't want to. We want to bring people together to be part of this. And so, um, our, our only limitation is the people power and the funding. So when we have those pieces lined up, um, you know, sky's the limit. And so we're, we're here to continue that work for the next 30 years and just grateful um, to have a community that supports it. Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns. And if you have one to spend, shoot us an email at info at thefebruaryroom.com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.